Hi babes, welcome to the very first episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Jo Westwood, the codependency coach, and I hope you can hear in my voice how truly excited I am to be connecting with you over this medium. Podcasts and audiobooks are one of my favorite mediums to learn from. I am a true audiophile, so I'm really, really excited to finally be bringing you my very own podcast where each week I'll be answering your questions on codependency, people-pleasing and dysfunctional relationships submitted to me via Instagram. So if you don't already, head on over and follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood. That's J-O-W-E-S-T-W-O-O-D to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. So without further ado, our very first question on the very first episode of the Anti-People Pleasing podcast. It was submitted by Alice and it is a fantastic question that I am really excited to dig into. So Alice's question, how can I not feel like a bad feminist when I'm codependent? So I needed a little bit more context on this one. And when I DM'd Alice, she said to me, I am definitely codependent and as a straight woman, this has left me being codependent with men. This has often felt completely at odds with my outspoken feminist identity and I sometimes feel like a fraud when I'm desperately trying to keep a man happy and I almost feel ashamed of it. Okay, so this is a fantastic question. I'm really, really excited to get into this. It's such a a like meaty issue. So... I have been saying for a long time that codependency is a feminist issue. Does that mean that only women can be codependent? No, of course not. Does it mean that all women are codependent? No, of course not. But codependency, I believe, is a feminist issue because the common traits of codependency very much align with the traits that a patriarchal and misogynistic society tells women are good. The traits that are praised in us are also codependent traits. In the same way, narcissistic traits are praised in men. So again, does that mean that all men are narcissists? No, of course not. Does it mean that only men can be narcissists? No. Of course not. But when we talk in big, broad strokes, when we talk at a society level, definitely codependent traits praised in women, narcissistic traits praised in men. That's why that dynamic in particular is very common. Of course, again, speaking in broad strokes, and this isn't including, you know, the spectrum of gender, but from the perspective of the society that we currently live in, which is patriarchal and misogynistic and um, thinks of things in terms of the gender binary, this is how we are conditioned. We are assigned male or female at birth and hopefully we have a lovely healthy home life and we have great healthy enlightened parents who go to therapy and all of that stuff but let's be realistic, most of us don't and so if there's any kind of dysfunction in our family life then we can trip over into our own dysfunction 
quite often manifests as either codependency or narcissism but of course it can manifest in lots of different ways as well you know everybody's got their own thing going on then we go out into society and you know if we've been assigned female at birth and we had dysfunction in our early years and we've developed some codependent tendencies we go out into the world we go out into society and society confirms for us that those codependent behaviors are correct for our assigned and assumed gender and the same for boys and men with narcissistic traits. So there is some research to back this up, which is why this is so meaty and why I love it so much. So there is some research by Mahalik at Boston College. This is quoted in Brene Brown's TED Talk, Listening to Shame. Definitely check out that TED Talk. It's super helpful. You could even look up the research paper as well if you're interested. It's not very long. So the research paper asked the question, what do men and women need to do to conform to their respective gender norms? And this is a US-based study, but I think anecdotally, a lot of us will very much identify with the findings here. So for women, what do women need to do to conform to their respective gender norms? And the top answers that came out for women were nice, thin, modest, and use all available resources for appearance. And for men, what do men need to do to conform to their respective gender norms? Always show emotional control, work is first, pursue status, and violence. I'm just gonna give that a moment to land because in a nutshell, is that not so much of the dysfunction that we have at a society level, but also at a personal level? So we've talked in big, broad strokes about this issue. We've talked a little bit about some research here that backs this up. And you can go and have a look at that yourself and find out more about that. It's really, really interesting. So one of the best things that you can do if you want to be a better feminist, is to get into recovery for codependency. Because it will make you happier, it will make you more relaxed, more fulfilled, and with a better sense of who you are. If you get into recovery for codependency, you will know what your values and standards are. You'll be less willing to settle for somebody who needs you to please them. You'll be less likely to allow and accept someone like that into your life you will simply stop being compatible with those types of people. The side effect of that is, if you're interested in being part of a social justice movement, like uh, the feminist movement, like Black Lives Matter, like being an LGBTQ plus ally, you will become a better, more aligned, more involved activist because you will be spending less of your time and energy on pleasing a man, I'm doing air quotes around that, because we all know, those of us who've been in codependent relationships, and this goes for all genders and all sexual orientations and all relationship styles and structures, that when we are completely absorbed in trying to please another person and trying to get another person to love us, that we have very little energy left for anything else in our lives, for our work, for our hobbies, for self-care, never mind about the activism that we might want to take part in. So, I mean, the reality is that most people's activism is the everyday stuff. So when we get into 
recovery, when we become more aligned with who we truly are, when we know what our standards and values are, we become less afraid to speak up when someone drops a casually racist comment. Again, doing air quotes around that. I know there's no such thing as casual racism. Or someone makes a joke about dumb blondes or about how women get so crazy when they're on their periods and that's why they shouldn't run countries. I mean, I really hope that you don't have people around you like this, but if you do, um, and I think actually so many of us do, there are a lot of people with views like this on this kind of level, but maybe in a kind of covert way and they let them slip when they feel safe. Um, So again, like they let them slip when they feel safe with another person. So on that uh, like micro level, but they also, when they feel safe because the atmosphere and the environment of society at the time helps them to feel safer. And we've certainly all experienced more and more of that in the last five years or so. Yes, people have felt safer to speak out more about social justice and be more vocal about that and be more vocal about what is okay for them and what is not. But equally, we've got a lot of people who felt empowered to talk much more openly about their racist, misogynistic, fat phobic, classist, ableist views um, because of the atmosphere that a lot of people's governments and um, you know kind of societies in general have created and so when you get into recovery not only does it work on the personal level that in your relationship you're going to have a better more equal more feminist relationship with that person because you're just not going to accept the type of person that wants to have an old-fashioned, patriarchal, misogynistic type relationship where, you know, you take care of them and you almost infantilize them. They're going to want someone who is an equal partner. You're going to be turned off by someone who is almost, you know, childlike and can't take care of themselves. But you also become a better feminist in the way that you have less fear about speaking up and back and against those people who do feel empowered to let their you know their racist fucking flag fly right now for example or their misogynist flag fly because you don't care if everybody likes you or not you don't you're not interested in dating that person they just cease being part of your dating pool they cease being an option for you when you get into recovery when you know who you are self-care taking care of yourself experiencing joy having boundaries knowing knowing what your values are and being able to set and maintain boundaries particularly for women is an act of resistance is an act of political resistance because Everything in our society tells us that that is not what we should be doing. Everything in our society says, ignore how you really feel, put yourself out at all costs, you know, as we see in this study, be nice, thin, modest, and spend all your money on how you look, right? And we know this, we feel this. So by having boundaries by deciding what's important to you by acting on that by choosing people people to date friends work colleagues accordingly 
you push back against that. The activism starts at home. It starts within you. When it starts within you, it can't help but bleed out. You will become a better feminist by getting into recovery. Okay, I feel like I've said the same thing (laughs) five times from every different angle. I hope I've explained that. It's a really big question and it deserves a big answer, but I hope that has helped you, Alice, and everyone who's listening to feel more empowered. One final thing I want to say on this, because this is something that's come up recently with a client of mine, is particularly when you are a privileged person like myself, I'm a cis, white, middle-class, educated, able-bodied woman. I'm basically just one step down from all of those things but a man. And my my client who asked me this question is in the same position as me. And she said, is it right for me to take a step back from the more outward activism that I've been asked to do uh, or that I've been invited to do or people are excited for me to do because I need to take care of myself? Am I just being a privileged little white girl who says, yeah, I care about these things, but not enough to actually do anything about it. And my answer to her was, like, you need to feel steady in yourself. You need to know who you are. Not perfectly, like, you know, because we change and we evolve and we grow over time, but you need to feel on steady footing before you go out and represent someone else or speak on someone else's behalf or on on the behalf of another cause. If you're not really certain who you are right now, if you're, basically if you're on shaky ground, the best thing that you can do is really focus on your recovery because even through that, as I mentioned earlier, that is gonna ripple out and it might be in a, in a smaller and less obvious way, but it's gonna ripple out. People around you are gonna feel that. So you are doing your activism in a way but it doesn't mean that you can't do it in a more in a bigger more obvious more outward way in the future when you are on more stable ground and i think this is where a lot of burnout comes from with particularly younger people who really feel the pressure of wanting and needing to be more active and um you know within social justice movements and all of that kind of thing is they go out and try and be active and try and speak on behalf of causes and they put themselves out there before they even maybe really know who they are. And that can really put you on a lot of shaky ground, give you a lot of anxiety. It's like projecting something outwards that you don't even have within you yet. And that is not to say that you don't really believe in these causes or that you shouldn't be speaking out, you shouldn't be attending protests or whatever way that you do that in, but find a way that is in alignment for you. Find a way to do the work that is important to you, that is in alignment with you, so that you don't get burned out, and so that you don't lose your own identity. That work should be done because you can't help but do it, not because you feel too guilty not to. So yes, find ways to use your privilege of course, find ways to spend that privilege and do it in a way that is authentic and genuine and also rest. 
you must make sure that you build in rest and burning out is not some kind of equalizer for you having privilege. There is no point being a privileged person who is anxious, burned out and crippled by the activism that you are trying to do. That is no use to the people that you are trying to help. They need you consistent, fired up, energized, solid, stable in this for the long haul because none of this stuff that we care about, feminism, Black Lives Matter, um, the LGBTQ community, none of that stuff is it's a quick fix. It's not going to be one protest and done. It's not going to be one bill and done. It's not going to be one Instagram post and done. This is a life's work. And so we have to be solid enough in who we are and in our identity and also full up enough energetically that we are capable of continuing this work for a lifetime. And it runs very parallel to recovery work. Recovery work is a lifetime's work. It's a lifetime's maintenance. So there's no point, you know, running out of the starting gates, going balls to the wall, burning out in six months and then bouncing back to the old behavior. Slow and steady, slow and steady. And yes, it's so frustrating because we want all of this stuff to move faster and it should be moving faster. But it's moving faster than it ever has done. And you burning out won't make it move any faster. I said I was done a good few minutes ago and now I am. I hope that was helpful. So second question. This one is from Veronica. And they asked, can an abuser, not physical, in brackets, change if they claim they want to make every effort? So I'm going to answer this question um, assuming that you mean emotional and psychological abuse because you said not physical. The quick answer here, and I'm going to expand, but the quick answer is, do you want to wait to find out? If you have been emotionally and psychologically abused, it might be hard for you to tell if the person is changing or if it's another manipulation technique. Sometimes it can look like genuine change, but then it slips back to the same old shit. But because you've kind of had a taste of it seeming like it's going to be better, it's easy for you to be fooled. This is also an abuse technique called intermittent rewards. So when you get to the point of telling someone, you know, you've been abusive to me and I have to leave, I need to cut this off, this is not good for me, they might promise to change. And then maybe sometimes for some people, the promise of the change is enough and they stick around for that, but no change ever happens. Sometimes there's a promise of change and a bit of change happens or performative change happens. So someone might go to like three or four therapy sessions, bearing in mind as well that someone who is emotionally and psychologically abusive can also be emotionally and psychologically manipulative with a a therapist. Certainly if they're only going one hour a week, that's very, very easy to do to present yourself in a good light. So, you know, someone might rock up to three or four therapy sessions and you think, oh, yeah, you know, they're doing the work, they're turning up to therapy, blah, blah, blah. But actually what's happening in that therapy session, what's happening outside of it 
is it in alignment? Are you actually seeing any real shift or change? And of course, you know, three or four therapy sessions ain't even touching the sides. Like that's not doing anything for anybody. And then before you know it, they stop going, they don't have the time, it's too expensive. Um, they don't, you know, match with their therapist, but then they don't look for another one. You know, they're not, it's performative change basically. So, and that can manifest in a few different ways, but you know, going to a therapist for just a few sessions is a very common one. So honestly, if this is you that we're talking about, questioner, I would highly recommend time and space away from a person like this. Clean break, no contact. You need some breathing space and the chance to heal and you need to give them the space that they need to do their work. That is if they're really going to do it. If they're really going to do it, they have to do it for themselves, not because they think it will make you stay. So you need to move out. You need to step away from the relationship. You need to get space from them for, say, six months, no contact at least. And you can see then if they actually do the work in that time, see if they actually change. Honestly, my bet is probably not. I do believe in the ability for people to truly change. But I also know that it's hard and it doesn't happen often. And when it does, it's not always sustainable because it takes a long time to undo a lifetime of being a certain way, of having been conditioned to be somebody who operates in an emotionally and psychologically manipulative and abusive way. And in that time away, you should really take that opportunity to work on yourself. And I'll bet if you do, that the likelihood is that you won't want to go back to that person, even if they really have done their work. So too long, didn't read. Yes, technically it is possible, but don't hold your breath or keep putting yourself at risk. Heal move on, allow them to do the same if they really want to, if they're really able to, and then you can assess from that point. But from the point that you're at right now, I'm going to guess you probably don't have enough clarity. And what you're really just hoping for is for me to say, yes, it's possible. So you can stick around in a relationship with someone that has been abusive towards you because you're terrified to leave, potentially because you're codependent when you have to really do the scary thing, get on your own healing journey, give yourself the space, and then you'll be coming from a place of much more clarity. Okay, so third question. Oh my goodness, I hope you're enjoying this as much as me. Uh, (laughs) So third question is from Kate. Do you think people have experienced old trauma resurfacing over lockdown? So this is a huge question because it's specific to each and every person and their life experiences. There may be some traumas that were specifically triggered over lockdown, perhaps due to isolation or feelings of abandonment, um, perhaps also connected to health anxieties as well. I think what lockdown definitely did for a lot of people who perhaps didn't even realize that they had trauma, addiction or dysfunction was that it made them sit with themselves, perhaps for the first time ever. 
People have had more space and time in the last 18 months than they ever have. Um, you know, broadly speaking, of course, not including healthcare workers and other essential workers, of course, who have perhaps never been more exhausted and had less space. But again, broadly speaking, people have had a lot of time to sit with themselves like never before. And I think more than old traumas resurfacing, it's people realizing that they have some shit that they need to work on and not being able to avoid it by going out getting drunk with their mates, meeting a new love interest or traveling, going on holiday. You know, lockdown has been a real magnifier. On the whole, again, broadly speaking, I would say that if you had a good situation, a good relationship, a good connection to yourself, a good relationship with yourself, lockdown has strengthened that. If things in your life weren't so great, the stress and intensity of lockdown will most likely have amplified that. If there was a lot that was unresolved for you mentally, emotionally and psychological, lockdown will have really showed that up. So I think it's more a case of people have really had the time and the opportunity to look at themselves in a way that they haven't before. And we've had less distractions. We've had less ways to act out our numbing or self-medicating behaviors. And so we've had to find a way through. And so it may feel like traumas have been resurfacing, but I think for a lot of people, perhaps they've just surfaced for the first time. And also definitely the pressure of living in a global pandemic. I mean, we really cannot underestimate how this will have affected people's brains, their mental health, their ability to socialize, their ability to connect with other people. The fact that for the last 18 months, we've had to very much get used to the idea that the thing that makes us successful as a species connecting, socializing, talking, building relationships could kill us. We have lived with that fear for 18 months. And I think we cannot underestimate the effect that that will have, has had and will have in the long term on people's mental health. And so I could absolutely see how that could also amplify existing issues that people had. It's kind of a broad question and it's kind of a broad answer, but I hope that gives you some insight and some perspective on how lockdown and just living in a global pandemic will have affected people, the way they think and the way they're dealing with or not their stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in to this very first episode. I hope you have enjoyed the anti-people pleasing podcast please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the pod it helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier more fulfilling relationships and just before we wrap up I'd like to remind you that my codependency recovery community wildly worthy is open now For less than £50 or $65 a month, you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. 
Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thanks again for tuning in. I've absolutely loved creating this for you. I cannot wait to answer more of your questions. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Submit your questions to me every Monday and maybe you will hear your question being answered on a future episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Bye for now, my loves. 